looking back, like I think it's, it's made for great stories, but it didn't make for uh, a very enjoyable Friday afternoon. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever Andalusian Adam. <laughs> Hello, mate. It's so good to see you again so soon. So good to see you as well, Adam. I described you as being Andalusian because I know you have a deep love for everything Spanish, and I've got a special surprise for you on today's podcast. Yeah, I've got an inkling that I think my wanderlust is about to be sparked. <laughs> I certainly hope that it is, because we've got a guest on today's episode of Tropology. They describe themselves as a professional giri. They're a content creator and an English expat living in Madrid. I want to introduce you and the listening audience to Tom. Hello, guys. Absolute honour to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Tom, it's so lovely to have you here. Well, yeah, no, it's great to be here, as I say, and... Uh, as, as I say, professional giddy, if people don't know what that means back at home. Giddy is actually what we were referred to as, uh, by the Spanish over here. I'm not sure if you guys knew that. It's kind of a secret word they have for us. So if there's any confusion for, for the listeners, that's why I describe myself as a professional giddy. Oh, right. Well, tell us what that means. What, what exactly is a, a giddy? What does that secret word mean? So there's, uh, well, okay. So it's, a, it's one of those strange ones because some people, I think some English people who are kind of a bit more integrated into the Spanish culture, they tend, you have two camps. Some people are kind of offended by being called a giddy a little bit. And some people, um, uh, like myself, I like to embrace being being a giddy. And that would mean wearing the sandals, maybe sometimes if you're feeling brave, putting the socks on before you put the sandals on. You know what I mean? It's just that stereotypical pale skin, sunburn, lots of sun cream kind of look. And it's, it t- tends to be the tourists that, that flock to um, maybe the south of Spain in the summer. Um, they've had whole like marketing campaigns about about uh, giddies and, and and all this sort of stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, so I like to kind of reclaim the word. I'm not offended by it, but then again, I'm I'm very uh, I'm I'm very difficult to offend anyway. Um, so yeah, professional giddy is what I go by because I make content about about Spain. That's where the professional side of things comes into it. Certainly, yeah. I wonder if it's the the equivalent to um, Alan. You will know, but Tom, I'll I'll explain a bit more. I was living with a group of Mexican workers last year. I work in a, a region where there's lots of farming, agricultural work, and we often have groups of Mexicans that will come up mm-hmm. and work here, work in the fields. And I was living in staff accommodation with a group of Mexican workers, and they would always call me Guero. Like a blonde. Guero. Okay. And yeah, I think that can also be sort of seen as an offensive comment, but it's wonderful the mm-hmm. fact that you've embraced it and uh, <laughs> taken it to a professional level. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I don't think mo- when most Spanish people say the word, I don't think they mean any offense by it anyway. Totally. But I, I think it is one of those things because they refer to us as, as, well, they refer to a lot of Northern Europeans in general as, as giddies. I think just by, by association, some people get a bit offended, like, what? What are you calling me a giddy for? But for me, yeah, as I say, I like to, to to reclaim it and just embrace embrace my giddy sides. I get sunburnt. I wear socks and sandals sometimes, so might as well embrace it, right? That's really cool. <laughs> Subverting expectations. So me and Adam stumbled across your Instagram. It's Tom Charlie Design on Instagram. And on there, you kind of use your charismatic personality and handsome visage to kind of tell stories about what it's like being an expat living in Madrid. And I have to say, I think we were both quite taken with your content. It's very personable. It's very relatable. 
And it tells a story of one aspect of traveling, which is moving from your hometown and starting a new life in a completely different environment. So we here and the Tropology audience would just love to get your perspective on that a little bit. Tell us some of the highlights, what made you kind of take that leap. And yeah, we just want to get to know you a little bit, man. Okay, cool. Well, firstly, thank you very much. Um, I try to with the content that I make. I really try to make it um, personal on 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 one level because I like to I like to try and take concepts that hopefully anyone can relate to, and then try to t- tell my own stories about stuff that's happened to me through those through those concepts. Um, and sometimes I think I succeed with it, and sometimes I'd say that I fail with it. And and sometimes the comments are overwhelmingly positive, and sometimes there's, there's a lot of haters in the comments too. But I mean, that comes. I think. Really? As a, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I kind of embrace the good and the bad. You know what I mean? I feel like uh, on on the whole, um, you just got to If you're going to put yourself out there on the internet, you've got to expect these kind of things. Mm. But yeah. So what? Why did I move to to Spain in the first place? I actually moved for for love many years ago now. Kind of well, as in before Spain very in, on, on brand with the Tripology podcast, I was living in Australia. Wow. And, I, and before Australia, I'd been traveling Southeast Asia. Oh, yeah, he's our kind of guy. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been, tra- I've been traveling around a little bit. Uh, and before that, I, I, I went to university in Leeds. And while I, was, while I was in Leeds, I'd met a Spanish girl. So long story short, I don't want to bore you guys with all the details, but essentially I met this Spanish girl. I fell in love with her in England, and then I went traveling for like a year and a half. And I couldn't get her out of my mind. And then once my visas were coming up uh, to an end in in in, uh, in Australia, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go try the, the Spanish side of life, try the Spanish ways. Um, I, my original plan, really, if I'm being completely honest, was to go to Spain, convince her to leave Spain and come back to England with me. But once I got a taste <laughs> of the Spanish life, I was like, wow, I love it here. And I started learning Spanish. And started trying to integrate into the culture a little bit. I think it can be quite hard to, to fully integrate uh, sometimes. But yeah, I, I fell in love with Spain, basically. Um, and so that was that was why I uh, initially moved over here. So I'm sure a lot of people find that story relatable. But I mean, for me, I went to Leeds University. I fell in love with an Australian girl and originally started saving money to, to go travel there. So there's a lot in there that it's kind of making me realize we talk about travel being sparked by this curiosity and this desire to see the planet. But I think so often for so many people, this initial desire to hop on a plane and adventure is like love, right? Since time immemorial, men and women have been like propelled out into the world by this desire to be with someone. So that's really cool that that was the initial kind of thing. And then really cool as well that you adapted your plans and changed over time and ended up kind of starting this new adventure mm-hmm. well that's the thing so yeah so it's good to know that you're also fellow Leeds alumni by the way <laughs> um, and and yeah no that's the thing with my ex-girlfriend it didn't work out unfortunately and, but we spent like a couple of about a year and a half together I think after that but I'll, I'll always be grateful to her to, for, for showing me Spain and, and kind of introducing me to the to, to the culture and to the to the to the country that, that I love basically and now we're still good friends and like she messages me about my content sometimes and says, hey, you should, sometimes I kind of br- brush over the fact that the reason that I came was was for love. And she's like, come on, give me some more credit here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will she be listening to Tropology podcast right now? Undoubtedly, right? <laughs> I mean, without a doubt. <laughs> That's incredible. That's such a wicked story. I assume that once that sort of seed was planted, um, you were fantasizing about a life in Spain for a while. Was it ever on the cards that you would stay in Australia long term? Oh, I'm not sure because when I was in Australia, I was about, I think, um, I mean, it's going back a fair few years now. So I guess I was around 20, 
I think 22, 23 sort of age. And I really wasn't thinking about uh, like two years in advance, let mm-hmm. alone like, like long, long term. I didn't really know. What, what I do know is that once I got over there, um, I had a great time in Australia, by the way. But one thing for me is I felt like I was very far away from my friends and family. And I, I wasn't homesick as such. But it was more the fact I was, I was there with my best friend, firstly. So I kind of had me and him. We did everything. We did a lot of stuff together, probably too much stuff together. You know, what I mean, we should have like both left our, the bubble of each other and, and, and done more. But I don't know. It was, it was a really, really enjoyable experience in general in, in terms of Australia. But it was it was just I, I always say it feels like you're you might as well be on the moon. You send a text back to your mom or your dad or one of your friends and you don't get a text back for for. 12 hours and it's just such a long <laughs> it's such a long period of time that I thought could I really do this forever you have to come to peace come to terms with the fact that maybe you, you'd be saying goodbye to a lot of friendships basically and for me um, I loved Australia but I, but I knew that I could also uh, have the kind of lifestyle of Australia but somewhere closer but well, I, I could get the things that I love from Australia but somewhere a little bit closer to home and, and kind of have that win-win-win and although I met amazing people in Australia because it was a bit of a back, backpacker community. They're all from Europe anyway. So a lot of the really good friends I met over there eventually ended up coming back to back to Europe. So um, I kind of ended up having the best of both worlds coming back here. Yeah, I think you've just touched on something really interesting that we have spoken about a few times before, Al. We do like to get a bit existential on this podcast. But the fact that when you were in your early 20s, you were only thinking about the next six months or a year. And I've ex- I felt that I felt that going through the last sort of my late twenties and now my early thirties, you're thinking about the next five years or the next ten years, as opposed to when you were sort of eighteen or nineteen. All you really care about is which bar you're going to go to at the weekend, or you know, it's, it's about that sort of that decade and how how uh, it changes the way you think and how sort of long you plan for. I guess. Well, for me, yeah, that's that's definitely true uh, for sure. And I think a part of that is because obviously when you get to this kind of age, you start thinking about longer term relationships. You start maybe even having kids. I'm not sure. Do you guys have have kids or or are you married? There are no tropology babies as of yet. <laughs> no? no, this is our baby, Alan. The podcast <laughs> tropology. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that for me, I guess is is one of the reasons because you start to you start to start to think about in, in inverted commas settling down and that sort of thing, which. Uh, which I think makes sense because you start to kind of hit that slower point in your life. You know, I mean, everyone says that the thirties is is a, is a is a is like the the best period of your life, and I think that's probably part one of the reasons why because you start to think about the long term game rather than just the the, the short term wins or the short term. What is it? There's a saying there somewhere encapsulated in what you said. There's a surmisable quip that <laughs> the listeners can fill in, but I think it's really interesting. I like my whole travel experience has been punctuated by these working holiday visa things, right? Like a year in Australia, a year in New Zealand, two years in Canada. It's something that I have to do to earn money to then travel more. But you ultimately spend a lot of time setting up a life in a place, which can take anywhere from one to three to four months to get everything sorted, your bank account, your job, all that stuff. And it is almost a shame, although I'm very happy to go traveling again, it is a shame when it comes to the end of the visa that all that kind of initial work, finding a friendship group and setting yourself up, is, you know, it lives in the past and, and that's it, you're on to the next adventure. So it's interesting that you were able to set up that life in a new place, but then live out the rewards of that life as you could continue to to live there. That must be a rewarding experience. Yeah, it was for me. And and. 
after being in Spain a, a couple of years, I, did, I started to get to the point where I was thinking maybe it's time for me to go home. Uh, and I did start to think about, um, about what would be the next step. Um, and during COVID, obviously everything was, was a, little bit, a little bit crazy. So I took some time, went back home. And, and luckily that kind of shook the sense into me and made me realize, okay, Spain is like, I think I'm built for Spain in many ways. I absolutely love, love the life, the life that I've got here. I've got great friends here. Um, and yeah, the weather, the weather really, really helps as well in terms of my mood. I love being outside as much as possible. And obviously there's only about 40, 40 days, 40, 50 days a year that it, that it rains here. So you can do everything, even in the winter, you've got the, the warmish sun, summer sun. Um, so for me, it's like, it's always working out outside. I don't have a gym membership apart from jujitsu. I don't have a gym membership or anything like that. I'm just what I would like to work out outside and do as much outside as I can. I think a, a large part of my fulfillment and, and happiness comes from just being outside, especially because I'm, I'm by, by day, by night, I'm a content creator, but by day I'm a web designer. Um, so I spend a lot of the time in front of the computer. Uh, so to get outside for me is absolutely, uh, yeah, it's absolutely essential, but, but you actually, um, I've, I've got a question for you guys actually. So are you kind of perpetual travelers? Do you, do you see what I mean? What have you, what, what do you guys do? I've listened to a couple of episodes in the past, but, um, I'd love to know in terms of you, you met in Canada, but you, you set up somewhere work and then, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly how we define ourselves as like perpetual travelers. It's the idea that you can like travel long term, basically. So both of us left home around or left England around 2015, maybe kind of around that time. And we've kind of been on the road ever since. I was away for four years nonstop and then came back to visit and then went away again and been back and forth a little bit in that time. And and Adam very much the same. Adam's living in Canada now. Uh, but we pretty much travel full time, but that does sometimes include stopping and working, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And um you know, I th- I've lived in five countries now and going through that process of all the initial work, setting things up, relationships, jobs, apartments, vehicles. Now that I know it's possible, yes, it takes a lot of work and effort, um, but it can be dismantled pretty quickly. And uh, I-, I don't know, there's something novel about it. And now that there's not really a country that I can think of that I would really want to live in that I don't think a life would be possible in. Even Spain. I mean, how easy is it to live in Spain nowadays, Tom? Um, for, for someone from the UK, say, say, I don't know what the current situation is politically, but is it still fairly f- straightforward? This is, that's the thing. So since Brexit, obviously, it's a, it's a lot harder to move over to Spain now. Luckily, I moved here before Brexit and everybody who'd moved here before Brexit um, got got like a kind of stamp on the visa to say that they can they can stay indefinitely. Um, if you want to move over now, it's much more difficult. I know that Spain has just opened up a, a nomad visa. I mean, I haven't really looked into it too much, but from what I understand, you can extend it as well and and, and spend and spend like a longer time here. But who knows how long that's going to be open for? Because I think these what happens with these nomad visas is a lot of the time a lot of digital nomads will will come in, rent prices go up. Everybody blames the digital nomads, which is which is fair. I think it's we we contribute to to uh, rent prices going up for sure, um, and and then they kind of close off these visas. So that's definitely a part of. I mean, to answer your question, I think it's not as easy as it once was. There is always the teaching route, which is actually what I what how I ended up in Spain. So when I first came over, I had no job. I came straight from Australia. I literally <laughs> flew from uh, Sydney. Back to London for one day to see my family. I'm from Birmingham originally, but my family came down to London 
And I saw them for one day and then I flew the next day to Madrid. Obviously, I was really in love with this girl and I just had to see her as soon as possible. Um, and, and yeah, it was, uh, I showed up and I had about 600, 700 euros, um, which I think at the time was about a thousand Aussie dollars and I transferred it over. I had almost no money. Mm. I found a room on, in, in the outskirts of Madrid for 200 euros, all bills included a month, which is insanely cheap now I think about it. And I thought, okay, at least I can get by for a couple of months and I should be able to figure out something in terms of work. Um, so that's so why I, I ended up teaching English, like long story short, I ended up teaching English. And that's still a route that people can take now to come to Spain. A lot of the people that I know, including, there's a lot of Americans over here actually, mm -hmm. and they, they come on student visas, which means they can technically work 20 hours a week or something like that. But, but um, and so, that, so with those 20 hours, they put that into teaching, uh, it's called, I'm not sure it's called the Auxiliaire Program. And they come over, they teach English, they're, they're kind of like a teaching assistant in, in, in the classroom so that you have the main teacher and then you have the native English person who is just there to help the kids in English. And so the idea is that by, by absorption, the kids kind of learn, learn the accent, get used to speaking in English more, kind of reduce their fear of speaking in English and that, and that sort of thing. And so I know that's still a way. But yeah, the reality is it's it's more difficult nowadays. Yeah, we should talk about that English teaching as a thing. I did some English teaching in Vietnam and in China. And mm. obviously you just talked about doing it in Spain. Adam, it's been something that we've talked about as like a real viable route that people who want to travel but want to have a little bit more structure. They don't just want to blast off into the world with a backpack and a pair of sandals. They actually want to like have a job and an apartment and all that stuff. There's a lot of, if you have, any sort of qualifications, you're a post-grad maybe, or you have a, a TEFL course, teaching English as a foreign language course. There's a lot of opportunities for people who want to travel more long-term to get a job teaching English whilst away, right? Did you enjoy your time teaching? Um, honestly, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I, I really, really didn't like it. I, as, soon as, I started, as soon as I started teaching English, they threw me into classrooms with like kids from... Well, firstly, it's important to say I had no qualifications apart from my degree, um, which was biology. I didn't study anything to do with English or anything like that or teaching. Um, they didn't even care, I don't think, if I had a degree anyway. They just cared that I, could, I was an English native. And they threw me into classrooms. I was actually a substitute teacher, so I'd be sent all over Madrid filling in for, for other English teachers who hadn't shown up that day. So obviously these little Spanish kids would look at me as a substitute, be like, wait, no way, put off there. Like there's no teacher today. And just start like <laughs> running over to the toy, the toy counter and like pulling out toys and just trashing the, the classroom straight away. So for me, no, I didn't like it that much, but I do have, I know people that absolutely love teaching and, and I know, um, I was just speaking to a couple of my friends yesterday and they go, they're moving back to America, but they are actually um, considering doing the same thing back in the States. Uh, and teaching English as a foreign language in the states right. um, for um, like immigrant families and that sort of stuff that, that are moving over to the states. So I know that some people get a lot of fulfillment from it, but I went to pretty soon after teaching English. I'm, I started teaching in um, summer camps, which was much better because it wasn't. It was still teaching English in a sense, but it was kind of like in the outdoor environment. I was doing stuff like teach. I was working on uh, lakes and I was in the mountains to the north of Madrid. For me, that was really what it was all about. I was like, okay, this is amazing. I can, I can go. I don't have to be stuck in a classroom firstly. I can go and spend two weeks teaching, doing as, as like a, um, a monitor. De, it's called like a monitor de English, so like an English uh, monitor kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was out on these beautiful lakes kayaking, and it was more around the idea of like learning English through kind of fun rather than in the boring classroom environment. 
Um, but yeah, the English, I, I have horror stories from, from teaching English. When I first I had one class in particular, for example, and it was on a Friday. So I, before the weekend, I, I'd always look forward to the weekend so much, but I knew I had this hell class basically just before the weekend came. And I'd get there. And the worst part was I, the, the, the classes that I, would take, that I was taking, they were elective. So it was for the parents to choose if their kids would take, would, to pay if their kids were, if their kids would take these classes. So all the other kids were on recess. They were on, in play, on playtime basically. So I'd show up in my like pants and, and shirt and stuff. And I'm like trying to like, it's a hot Spanish day, but I'm sweating and all the kids are like having the best time of their life. And they see me and they're like, Oh shit, it's time for, it's time for our, our English classes. So I'm trying to run around the, the the playground, trying to grab like Jose or trying to grab all these little kids, and they're all trying to run away from me. It becomes one big game. I'm like grabbing one, throwing them in, throwing them into the classroom, slamming the door, trying to find the other one. Then this one runs out again. It was it was looking back, like I think it's, it's it made for great stories, but it didn't make for uh, a very enjoyable Friday afternoon. <laughs> well, that's it. The fascination with you as a foreigner maybe outweighs the fascination with English as a language, right? <laughs> so it's. An unusual dynamic i've experienced that same thing you know like in in vietnam and china and i talk kind of peripatetically in africa i have to say to listeners i have quite enjoyed my time teaching so i think it's one of those things you can weigh up Mm -hmm. as maybe give it a try and and see where it takes you but you transitioned out of teaching fairly quickly and into what 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 have you uh decided to do now so um after teaching as i said i I worked on the on the lake doing uh, as as the monitor which was still kind of in the teaching ballpark basically and um and from from there that was around the time i was actually considering leaving spain i'd been in spain for around a year year and a half and it got to the point where i I thought, okay, I, do I do another year of this, or shall I try and like maybe get a job in a company, or shall I, shall I go home? And I decided to send some CVs out to companies here in Spain. And, and my housemate at the time, I was house, I was house sharing. She was like, oh, there's a company. Uh, my friend works for this company, and you would love the vibe of the company. It's a startup. It's um, it's like really young. It's all, everyone in there are no kids. Yeah, there are no kids. Most <laughs> importantly, uh, and I was like, well, I've got no experience doing anything. Um, but but she said, well, there's, there's customer experience roles open. And I thought, okay, I could probably give that a go. And by this by this point, my Spanish was okay as well. So I went and, and they gave me an interview and I eventually ended up getting a job uh, in, in this company. And, and I ended up working um, customer experience initially. Then I kind of moved up to the sales team. And, and just it was just one of these companies that was, I don't know, it was kind of great. A classic startup, like free beer every weekend. And we had this amazing terrace. Uh, so obviously with the, with the Spanish sun, it's just amazing. Every Friday, everyone's drinking free beers on the terrace upstairs. Uh, really, really good. And then from there, I transitioned into what I'm doing now, which is it's UX design. So it's like web design, uh, web design, app design, that sort of stuff. Amazing. So from Birmingham to Leeds to Sydney to Madrid, from biology to teaching to web design, the life of Tom, the professional giddy, has been eclectic indeed. And Adam, I think this is the perfect time to just take a breather, close our eyes, cross our legs, and embark on a short meditation break. And just like that, all three of our conscious minds plummet back into our craniums and we're here talking all about Tom's life in Madrid, Anthropology Podcast. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, if it's all right, Tom, if we can dive into what your life is like in Madrid now and sort of your group of friends, what it's like being an expat in Madrid specifically. I just wanted to ask, have you ever lived anywhere else in Spain other than Madrid? Uh, no, I've only ever lived in Madrid, actually. But it's something that I would love to I would love to see. I've seen lots of parts of Spain because of the jobs that I've worked and I've traveled a fair bit as well. And because I work uh, 100% remotely, I've taken a week here and worked and uh, worked from a week here or worked a week there. Um, but I've never lived anywhere else for for longer than maybe a, a week or two. I'd love to. I'd love to go down south. I really like Malaga. Malaga is a great a great city. I actually hitchhiked there a couple of well this time last year. I did a hitchhike from from Madrid down to Malaga. Uh, it's a great experience. You meet lots of lots of really nice people. Uh, and then when I, once I got to the city, I was like, wow, just first time there, absolutely fell in love with it. So that could be somewhere I think maybe more long term where I'd like to end up. Yeah, cool. Is it a popular mode of transport, hitchhiking? No, it, actually, everybody that I got in, the, got in the car with, they all told me that they think it's illegal, actually. <laughs> please, I, I had police that, that went for past, the listeners. Yeah, yeah, I had police that went past me before I, before I set off. This is the thing that this is why I wanted to do it kind of as well. Before I set off, all of my friends were like, oh, you're not going to get out of Madrid or you're not going to make it very far or no one hitchhikes in, in Spain. So no one's going to pick you up. Everyone's going to think you're weird. But I just had the faith. You know, I mean, I think that's what hitchhiking, maybe what traveling is a little bit as well. You just got to put your faith in, in people. Um, and I just stood there on the side of the road and the first lift took the longest. But once I, once I got that first lift, they started to come easier and easier. Uh, and, and yeah, so not a popular method of transport, but I would say definitely, I I, definitely a recommended one. Yeah. And then the city of Madrid, you chose that because of uh, a girl you were interested in. She was from Madrid, I assume, or certainly lived there when you moved there. Yeah. What is it about Madrid as a city that really sort of plays into what you, what you find important about a place to, to live? Because one thing that I've, that sort of a little gripe I have because I want this for other people is that I don't think people often enough challenge the environment they live in. And I think the environment you live in um, forms part of your your well-being and all of the opportunities mm-hmm. that you have available to you. I think it's of the utmost importance that you live in an enriching environment that really um, allows you to reach your full potential. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, really, because I don't think... I mean, don't get me wrong, there are, there, there are probably much better environments for me and the older I get the more I think maybe I would like to live outside the city uh, in general and maybe I'd like to go to the mountains and maybe I'd like to spend much more of my time hiking um, and, and doing that sort of stuff but then again I have, I, I'm, I've lived in cities for a long time now as well so I, I do have a lot of those comforts like I'd like to be able to go to the bar or if it's 10 p.m meet a friend at 10 p.m I do jiu-jitsu and I like the fact that I've got a choice of well I've got my jiu-jitsu club here but there's there's at least 15 20 20 clubs to choose from in, in Madrid. Yeah, well. If I moved to the mountains, I wouldn't be jujitsuing anyone, I don't think. So <laughs> the, there are things like that. But but what, what I love mostly about Madrid, I love the fact it's a it's a very walkable city. Um, a lot of my friends live in, in the centre, but even the ones that, that don't, it's feasible to walk. I mean, I've lived in London in the past, and uh, I'm, I'm a, I don't know if you guys love London, but I'm, I am a bit of a London hater, I've got to be honest. Uh, when I lived in London, I had friends that lived half an hour away from me and I'd, I'd never see them because it was just a nightmare with, with the transport and that sort of stuff. So one of the main things that I love about Madrid is the fact that it's so it's so walkable. And one of the big things, something that I'm big on, for example, is kind of community. And I love the fact in Madrid, I go downstairs and the bar of the road, I know the bar owner and I say hello to her and, and she asks me about like what I'm, what I'm up to and that sort of stuff. I love the fact 
that there is a, a community of people, even though we're, we're in this huge city, I love trying to make those personal connections with people that, that I live near. And that even if that is just like saying hi to the person that works in the bar or saying hi to your next door neighbor and, and having a little chat with them. Um, I really love that. And, and as I say, I do jujitsu and a lot of my jujitsu friends live nearby as well. So I just love the fact you can be walking down the street and you bump into someone that, you know, that's something that I've always really valued. And I think that um, in Madrid, from my experience, at least, that's something that, 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 I, that I happens to me quite a lot on walking around. Obviously, I spend a lot of my time walking around, recording myself and that sort of stuff. And, and, and because of that, I end up bumping into a lot, a lot of people uh, that, that I, I know uh, in the streets. But that definitely fills my um, spiritual tank, do you know what I mean, when, when, I, when, when I'm seeing people that, that I know in the streets and just like, oh, hey, Tom, like, let's have a beer and that sort of stuff. I really, really love that. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, that's probably, I know, I know that I've probably waffled a little bit with that answer, but, but yeah. Not at all. That's something I would actually like to expand on because I think we talk so often about just leave your life of mundanity behind. If you're not happy with your existence, get on a plane and travel. And we say travel, 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 we're long-term travelers, go and explore the world. And a lot of times people are like, well, do you know what? Like I am bored with aspects of my life but I love having friends I love training jujitsu if that's their thing or I love a routine of, of some kind I love my family I love all these things so they don't really want the long-term traveler lifestyle but they do want to shake things up and change things a little bit and I think that what you've proven by starting a new life in Madrid is that you can shake up your existence, move somewhere entirely new and unique, still be a, a traveler in the truest sense of the word, but you're doing it in a way where you can still get your jiu-jitsu practice in. You've got a friendship group. You can go down to your local shop and you know the person there and there's a sense of community about you. There's a lot of things that are enviable about your lifestyle that people maybe do miss out on somewhat if they live the constant nomadic place-to-place -place lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think being the, the constant nomadic way of life, I've never really done that, to be honest, as I say. So, I mean, obviously, I went to university for three years and I felt like I had pretty good roots there in Leeds, uh, same sort of thing with friends and, and all that sort of stuff. And then I did the traveling thing as well, where I did... Um, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia for uh, three months in total, then Australia for a year, and then Spain. So that to me felt like a lot of moving, moving around all those places. So I think at that point I was ready to, for something a, a little bit more. Well, I was, I was I was ready to put my roots down, and it just so happened that I was in Spain, and I, it was a place that of all the places that I that I visited, I really could see a future for myself here in Spain as well. Because as you said before, like, I've really I fit in. I feel like the Spanish. I like I like the Spanish lifestyle. I like Spanish people. I think they're they're very friendly. They're very welcoming for the most part, um, and uh, they seem happy to me. So this is something that that I like. Yeah, I, I saw that on one of your Instagram posts recently that you can achieve quite a high quality of life in Spain for a relatively cheap amount of money, and I think that's really inspiring because I think we grow up in a an environment where we are led to believe that earning more money is always better. But if you can achieve a higher quality of life by moving abroad, maybe you won't earn as much a month, but you know, prices are somewhat relative. And I think that overall your happiness is far more important. For sure. And that for me is the most important thing to the fact that, so as I say, I'm a content creator by night, but a designer by day. Recently, I've been trying to negotiate my day's work every month down because 
I'm at, I'm at the point in my life where I watch a lot of content online myself as well. And, and you listen to these business guy millionaires and that sort of stuff. And they all say the same thing. That the one thing that you can't buy is time. So for me, something that I, I value more than anything is my own time. And that's not to say I want to just do nothing on my days off. I want to I start building my own business on, on my days off. And I want, but I want to start, more importantly, being in control of my own, my own time more. And although I love my, my day job as well, I love, I love designing. Ultimately, I want to be doing something, like working, everything I put into to the Tom Charlie design business and, and what I'm doing, I want it to be for me because I feel like you can really define your own purpose when you're doing that. And everything that I'm working for towards Tom Charlie design is aligned with the way that I want to live. And so the more I put into that, the more I get out of that. Uh, and that's not talking about money. That's more talking about fulfillment and and uh, purpose. I think that comes across really well. Let's talk about your content creation a little bit. So me and Adam are very active on our Instagram, Tropology Podcast, and we scroll down. And of course, because of the algorithm, our like reels that we can view now are a constant litany of people jumping into pristine lagoons and lying on beaches and things. This is the nature of the travel Instagram. And both of us actually independently discovered your content. And I think both of us paused and watched one of your reels all the way through because I have to say they're very like compelling. They're very personable. They obviously come from a slightly different angle than other travel content. You very much describe your life in Madrid in a very real way. Talk a little bit about your, your style on Instagram and, and why people should go over to at Tom Charlie design on Instagram and, and give that a check out. Yeah, well, firstly, thank you. Um, I try to, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things. I've only been making content for. Oh, it's a funny story. So this at the start of last year, my friend told me like, Tom, we should do a YouTube channel. And at the time, I was like, No, I'd never made any content before in my life. I was like, I don't want to make a YouTube channel. I think it's cringy. I, I didn't, I didn't want to do it at all. But there was something inside of me that thought, Yeah, I do want to do that. But I just outwardly was saying no. Right. Strangely, I don't know. Um, something was holding me back basically probably sure. probably putting myself out there and kind of that fear of being like rejected or just looking like an idiot on the internet basically which is pretty much what I do all every day now <laughs> but when I first started making content it was with him and we were doing things like reacting to, to Spanish music online and we were doing that sort of stuff and my heart wasn't in that and neither was his but we thought we'd find what we wanted to do just by starting because if you don't start you're never going to end up doing anything right so we did that for about a year and it wasn't really going anywhere, but we had a fun time doing it. We'd get together on Tuesdays and we'd have a beer and we'd react to some music and we'd just, we'd just have fun together, basically. But then that kind of opened my eyes to maybe I could create content and maybe I could speak about things that I actually, maybe I could share my opinion and share my life. Because I think that, not, not to say that my life's interesting, but I think it's at least unique. And I, I think that I can, to, by showing people what I've done, my hope is that I can inspire other people to, to like, if they're not in a career they like, they can retrain because that's what I did. Um, they can get find a job that's 100% remote. They can live somewhere else. They can just they can do stuff differently. So as I say, I've only been doing my TikTok for about I'd say about eight or nine months now. And during that time, I focused on different things. So because I'm a designer, I started off talking about more design kind of content. And I think as a part of creating content, you naturally flow into what you want to talk about more. And I ended up I don't know if it was by osmosis or probably gravity more than anything. I started speaking about my life in Spain because. I wanted the content to fit into my lifestyle rather than me taking a day out. Before, I'd sit down in front of my computer and I'd like make some designs and I'd record it and, and all that sort of stuff. And that was very much taking time out of my life. But I wanted the content that I was making to represent my life. So then I started taking the camera out with me and, mm -hmm. and kind of putting it down the streets and walking past the camera and all that kind of stuff that you that you see now. 
And then, and also with that, speaking about not just the things I like in Spain, but just kind of the the life that I have here, kind of like, I guess some sort of some, some challenges that I face or just kind of what I'm up to here in Spain. And as I say, I try to sometimes, sometimes I keep it very literal and just kind of literally what I'm doing. And then sometimes I try to relate it to a, a larger a, a large concept or something like that it just depends on how i'm feeling and, and kind of what i want to share a lot of it is kind of in response to the, the ongoing conversation i have between people in the comments and they say oh did you think about this or they have might, somebody might have a different point of view to me and then I, I, i've made videos changing my opinion on certain things and i don't know it's very very fulfilling making content i recommend it to anyone I think that's really inspiring, man. We we talk about tropology as a travel podcast, and of course it is. But I think the larger philosophical thread is that we're a podcast about like betterment, right? Making your life better, and I think that can take many different forms. And it's cool that you find that making content and your life in Madrid is an act of betterment like you're enjoying your life and you can really see that in the content you're making it's really cool yeah thank you i, I said i've said before um i used to journal i used to i got really into journaling and like writing down all my affirmations or my goals and that sort of stuff and i always found that journaling was really good to get my thoughts out and onto paper and over the past six months or so i've kind of waned in, in my journaling efforts a little bit but it's because i feel like now my journal is my uh, tiktok and, <laughs> and instagram because i kind of put everything out there and I like to try and be vulnerable as well. I like to try and like say, like, without going into too much detail and stuff, but I like to, to at least um, show, show a vulnerable side, not, not all just kind of the good sides. I like to try and show every side, you know what I mean? I like to say, I've, t- I've spoke about breakups, but for example, kind of more in the sense of, look, you move, you move abroad for a girl, maybe you get your heart broken, maybe you move on, but it's okay. You see what I mean? Like I like to kind of uh, include a little bit of everything. And then regarding your your life in Spain and culturally, it sounds like it suits you very well. Uh, does it also suit the life of a content creator like you? Do you feel like there's lots of material to work with, I guess? In a sense, yes, because I live in the oldest part of Madrid, which is obviously just beautiful to, to look at. So that doesn't hurt, I don't think. Um, if I was walking around Birmingham, I'm not sure if it would have the same kind of like wow factor. But who knows? <laughs> maybe maybe it would. The ball ring is quite uh, it's a it's a bit of a sight for sore eyes. But which um, which neighbourhood do you live in, and which neighbourhoods do you spend most of your time in? I live in La Latina, okay. which is one of the oldest. Do you know Madrid? Uh, I was there for about five weeks, also for a girl. Would you believe? Um, He's the ever Andalusian Adam. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I remember walking through there a little bit and Lava PS as well. I quite liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you did a video in Lava PS recently. Yeah, so Lava PS is is great. So I'm, I'm down the road from Lava PS. So I live in La Latina. I spend I spend most of my time around here, to be honest. And um, in between here and also, I guess I spend a lot of time in Oporto, which is where my Jiu Jitsu gym is. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend a lot of time in those areas. I used to live in Malasaña, which is kind of like the the, the cool, trendy area with the trendy bars and, and like I guess it's younger. Mm-hmm. But that's what's good about Madrid. It's it's got every Every, every little zone has its own identity, has has something different. Um, so I, I think I spend most of my time around a Latina. But yeah, to answer your, your, your previous question, I think Madrid is a great city for making content. But I think you could really do this anywhere. It's kind of, I think a lot of the videos that I make is me doing the exact same stuff. I, every week I do the same stuff. I go to Jiu-Jitsu three times a week. I work, I'm designing all week. And then on the weekends, I might do like a couple of park workouts and grab, grab a couple of beers. So I think it's more, it's not so much about the the content creation 
I think the, the city fuels the content creation in a sense, but it's more. I think it's more the idea of Spain for me that like fuels the fuels the ideas. And oh, I do want to do more stuff. For example, like reacting to Spanish food and trying different Spanish food because it's also the content is actually good because it's inspiring me to integrate more. I feel like I'm integrated. Oh, yeah, I feel like I'm integrated somewhat into Spanish culture, but it's it's been difficult in a sense to fully fully integrate. My girlfriend now is Spanish, but it's difficult to fully integrate sometimes because um, I've got a lot of friends who are also international, so some English, some American, German, all, all over the place, and and naturally everybody speaks English in those kind of groups. And then I do have a lot of Spanish friends, and through jiu-jitsu I've got lots of Spanish and Latin American friends as well. But I'm always I'm trying to really trying to push myself now to integrate more, and I think that through the content, it's inspiring me to try things that I haven't tried before in terms of food, but also experiences, and to and to, to learn more about the traditions and, and that sort of thing too. So I think it's net net positive for integration as well. Yeah, and I guess learning Spanish is imperative to that integration. How long have you been speaking Spanish to the level you speak it now? So I learned all the Spanish that I know pretty much I learned in my first year. Oh, wow. Um, and, and that was, I'd say it was like exponential in that first year. It, it got decent to, I don't know if you know the level. So it's like A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. So I'd say it got to about a B2 level in the first year. And then it kind of plateaued basically. So at one point I was working in Spanish. So I was on the phones and I was having phone calls with Spanish landlords from all over Spain. It was terrifying because they've all got different accents and I only know the Madrid accent really. And I've got the Andalusian accent, for example, is an absolute nightmare. It's so hard to understand. And, and in person, you have the context and you can, you can uh, understand what they're talking about because maybe they're gesturing with their hands or you're in a shop with them and they're pointing at something. But over the phone, you have no context. You've only got their voice. So it's super, super difficult and really intimidating. But then it kind of plateaued. But now I'm at the point where I'm committed to, get, to taking it to the next level. Because um, if I'm making all my content around Spain, I think it would be it's a slightly hypocritical if I don't have like my Spanish absolutely perfect. So I speak it. I can I can have a conversation with one person. I can I, that's not a problem at all. <laughs> but it's when you start introducing introducing group conversations, you start to lose the context. They're speaking like with phrases maybe you've never heard before. Uh, maybe some of them are Latin American, some of them are Spanish, and it's like oh, there's just accents and different sayings from all over the place. Then I then I start to fall <laughs> apart a little bit. And I'm like. Oh, I've got no idea what anyone's saying. And once you lose the thread of conversation, it's really hard to get back onto the thread of conversation because that's just the way it goes. But but I speak okay. And for our listeners, like which one of those levels constitutes fluency to some degree and which one? I think fluency is a myth, to be honest. I, I, I've always said when it comes to fluency, I would say that it's so much about perspective because my nan, for example, would have said I was fluent if I could order uh, a cafe con leche from the bar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's nan fluency. Yeah, that's, na- that's nan <laughs> level. But then, if you ask someone, if you ask somebody from Spain, for example, who who has a great level of English, they might say that that I'm I'm nowhere near fluent. Now, do you see what I mean? So sure. fluency, I guess I, I wouldn't say that I'm fluent, for example, but I know that other people would say that I'm fluent. I wouldn't say that I'm fluent because I, I can't um, have these group conversations and, I, and I'm not like, I can't make jokes in Spanish and my sense of humor doesn't translate very well to Spanish because you have to have a deep level of understanding. But some people would say that I'm fluent. So I don't know. I guess m- maybe B1, pe- people would say you're kind of getting there with fluency. Yeah, it's very it's very subjective. Until the moment you can understand an Andalusian. Yeah, precisely. That will, uh, that, that's, a, that's a big step. <laughs> yeah and then i guess lastly one one thing i really want to know is how do you think you've changed 
by living in Spain? How do you think your, maybe your outlook on life? Do you ever compare your current life to what a life would have been like in the UK, for example? Yeah, it's strange because from when I when I left the UK, I guess I was around 22. As I said before, when I went to Australia, I was 21, 22, maybe 23 max. And ever since then, I've never I've never really lived in the UK again. So it's hard, really. I think the way that I've changed, I don't know if it's... I mean, of course, Spain has a part to do with the way that I've changed because I've been here for so long. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors that, that come into it. And I think more than the outside environment of living in Spain, I think it's more about the internal kind of work that you do as well. So I think that being in Spain has led me to see life in a way that I feel like life is to be enjoyed a little bit more. But I, I'm kind of hesitant to say that's completely Spain that's given me that um, uh, perspective because I know that there's people that, that have came to Spain and they don't like the Spanish life or people some people have a really hard life here in Spain as well do you see what I mean so for, for me I think that it's more about been about how I've realized that life isn't all about work um, and life is actually it's more about purpose and fulfillment and, and you get that by putting investing your time in yourself and investing your time in projects for yourself that align with your what you believe your purpose is i think that's a really important point and that's a really cool place to kind of wrap up this podcast is this idea that investing time in yourself in whatever context whether that's just improving in your own life as is or going off and backpacking or going off to a new place and setting up a whole life there Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Web designer, biologist, jiu-jitsu player, professional giri. Everyone can follow Tom at Tom Charlie Design on Instagram, where he puts forward incredible content. Everyone should go and follow him there. If you have any questions for us, you can email us at Tropology Podcast on Instagram or Tropology Podcast at gmail.com. Tom, I'd like to invite you, if you would, for the Lost and Found section of the podcast. It's a little bit after the episode that we do just for Patreon subscribers, and they can go to patreon.com forward slash Tropology Podcast to hear what we have to say in the Lost and Found section it gets all crazy and relaxed and awesome <laughs> so we'd love to see people there can't wait adam always a pleasure to talk to you my friend oh thanks it's been a pleasure my wanderlust is truly sparked and uh, i'm just gonna jump on the internet now and probably book a flight to madrid get the cocktails ready tom <laughs> i'll get the sangria amazing amazing stuff <laughs> i don't know about you two but the present is starting to feel like an awfully tiring affair and i'm gonna dash off project my consciousness forward into a brighter future i'll see you all next week <laughs> see you there bye, bye. bye. bye.